from WBEZ Chicago and Elusive Serenity. This is Pleasure Town. Around the turn of the last century, a group of folk built their dream, a town where happiness was the main objective. But, as history has shown, there's a dozen thorns for every bloom. So, find your moment and join us as we lay bare Pleasure Town. If there's one thing I thought my death would fix, it was my loneliness. Oh, so I guess I'm just like a potted plant that keeps you company. Listen here, Johnny Ego. You know exactly what I mean. Just as in life, the company of others, no matter how precious, does not erase one's sense of solitude. True enough. For no matter how much revelry I indulge myself in throughout life, all the time shared over drinks and the hours of bedroom intimacy... I could never shake the thought that underneath it all, I was alone. And while you were diving headfirst into the present, I tried to stave off loneliness with my distant gaze, my longing of and dreading for the future. And how'd that work out for you? I'm... I'm still not sure. Well, while you give that some thought, let's talk about someone whose entire life was a one-man show. Yes. When trying to understand my choices, I often turn to the life of our dear bartender. The man's perspective was always one of introspection. To him, it was the only salve for his psychic pain. Conscience for me, was slow in coming. Once, long ago, I knew a man they called Crayfish, so named for his left hand, which was a two-fingered claw. A misshapen and withered little pincer it was, just a thumb and a two-knuckled pinky finger. He could use it well enough for what it was, but it was no substitute for a proper hand. When my conscience arrived, finally, it put me in mind of that knotted little claw. It was suited to a few jobs, maybe, like gripping a tent stake or carrying a bucket. But much of life was ungainly and pointless and wearying, like trying to play the piano with a pair of hammers. Like it used to be, if a man was caught cheating at cards in my saloon, I would blind him and break his back. Last time it happened, though, all I did was break his hands and seize his winnings and run him out of town. Or when that idiot at the livery stable let all those horses get out in that thunderstorm and one of them kicked out one of my windows... I didn't march out in the street and shoot it dead as once I would have done. I just went and fetched a broom, muttering curses 
as I swept up glass. When finally it came upon me, this twisted little excuse for a conscience, I was an old, old man, and used up, mostly. And this conscience had been thrust upon me and was not of my own choosing or design. This moral dimension that took hold in those waning days of my life was bestowed upon me. Well, bestowed is too peaceable a word, I guess, because this moral sense was driven into me, steadily, over a long, long time, like the way the roots of an oak will buckle a walkway. This malformed morality was driven into me in the confounding silence of the damnable Swede and that watery-eyed wife of his. The mute affliction of these two consigned me to dwell in a long, slow perdition for near half my life. When I put that long-ago bullet into the Swede, my fool notion had been to expect a bullet in return, a symmetry of accounting that eye for an eye promised us in the good book. But such retribution was denied me because that hatchet-faced woman failed to deliver a justice so swift. I came to see over the long course of retribution that widow gave me, that it was not for me she gave it, but for her own conciliation. I came to see that this was her aim. Those dozen more years, years by rights I should not have had, these were the retribution I was due. This was the sentence she had meted out to me. In this, she was more merciless than the hangingest judge, more bloodthirsty than the lynchingest mob. Because the Swede's wife knew that those dozen years of the purgatory she delivered me to were worse by far than the few seconds it takes to step through a trapdoor and have your ears fill with the sound of your own snapping neck. She knew good and goddamn sure that each day of each season of each of those dozen hellish years was filled with my own dying. She knew that I'd known I should be dead, that I should have taken a bullet or a blade from somebody, that I should have been hanged or flogged or burned alive inside this saloon. She could see that single afternoon she came into my place. She could see with her widow's eyes that she could be secure in my suffering. She could see that the years since I'd gunned down her husband were a curse, and that whatever years remained to me after that day were just more time for the poison of waiting to leach into me more, displacing bit by bit what remained of my insides till only the poison was left. The gaze of that widow was the water. I was the limestone. The trickle of those unblinking eyes forever finding the cracks 
and fault lines and following its jagged path till I was split, sundered by the liquid dig of her gaze like a long, slow lightning strike that sheared me in two. I was ruined by that gaze. It reduced me to rubble. When that gaze had done its work, I was like a toppled headstone, a slab of rock robbed of purpose, awaiting the moss, shading the grubs and beetles. But we were cellmates, she and I. Her vigil began when I pulled that trigger, and it would not end until she knew me to be fit for nothing but as feast for worms. And she knew. God help me, I don't know how she knew, but I did know it. Sure and real, as you know, a pile of coins or a box of nails. I knew it even though I never saw her again. Whether she wound up back in Tulsa or in any one of a hundred towns scattered like freckles on the face of the plains, she knew every contour of that suffering she gave me. When I drew my last breath, it fell across her, that knowledge, soft as a prayer. In the time that remained to her after my own parting, she knew a freedom, a blessedly untroubled kind of freedom that I could never know. And that freedom, so hard won and so slow in coming, it may not sound like I mean this, but I do. I hope for her that freedom was worth something. I hope for her that that freedom, that freedom that came in exchange for my own life, I hope for her that this freedom was a boon and a comfort. I hope so, since this freedom, paid for with my own life, is probably the only kindness I ever paid anybody. Pleasure Town will return in a moment. So now that we've heard from the bartender, I think it's time we talked about her. I should have known that's what you were getting at. Look, I know you don't want to talk about it. The omission from our conversations has spoken volumes. I just think... I think I'd be better without knowing. The answer could be too much for me to bear. This was a trying time for Pleasure Town. Which meant it was a trying time for you. You were carrying more of the mental weight of our impending failure than I was. I hate to admit it, but I was too stinking drunk to care. Okay. All right. Let's talk about... Let's talk about Kate. Good. Let's start with your first memory of her. I... I was in the library. I thought I was alone. 
and I knocked over a pile of books. Silence fades The voice of another just like white is me From every other color Darkness fades The light of another just like a baby is raised In the arms of a mother you speak my name it sounds like summer rain Lift me and make my heart feel Fill my head with the song of the words you said I will pray the words <gasps> My soul! <laughs> oh, I, I didn't know. Oh, please excuse me. You gave me an awful surprise. My apologies. I didn't mean to... Awful means full of awe. A cyclone, a cloudburst, a great conflagration are awful things. True. <laughs> well... This is such a queer world when you go adventuring in it. Yes. Life is always having lovely things in store for me. <laughs> It's been years since I've been pegged as a surprise, and probably never since I've been called lovely. I ain't so mortal certain. That's... kind. Thank you. Well, I don't want to take up more of your time than I'm warranted. I'll leave you to your books and get back to mine. I don't want you to go back to business. I'm sorry? I don't want you to go back to business. I don't seem to follow. Uh, seven poor fools. <clears throat> oh, please don't leave me. You won't be offended, will you, if I ask you to remain with me? Ah, well, <laughs> a request from a woman such as you is not likely to offend anyone. <laughs> but I have some reading to do myself, so I'll head upstairs. You'll do nothing of the kind. It's dreadfully hot up there. You stay right where you are. You really want me to stay here with you? Ain't likely I'd be here else. I must admit, finding another soul within my library, the library, was unusual, but I don't see why you'd be here for me. What makes you say that? A great many things. Not the least of which is my recent history of solitude. Folks ain't lining up to keep me company. Not that I blame them. You can't mean that. No, I'm afraid I do. I wouldn't want to keep me company, and in fact, most days I don't. I foresee that you've fixed yourself up for a big disappointment. Not a stretch of the imagination there, as the disappointment is not nigh. It's here. And even in my sleep it haunts me. Tell me what you mean. I don't want to burden you with my sorrow. Tell me what you mean. Truly, I'd rather not. Tell me what you mean. Well, this town is not what it should have been. I thought I knew how to lay a path for people, but turns out all I was capable of is leading people to a cliff. So I spend my days here. 
labor in my mind in the hopes of finding a way back, or at least a safer way forward. I hold love for this town. Love that brought it into being. It made small difference then. It makes none at all now. Excuse me? The trouble with you is that you have to learn a new lesson about everything you attempt. You can't carry a lesson about one thing in your mind and apply it to the next thing that comes up. Well, at least I spend my days looking to the future rather than trying to forget the past. Yes, and the longer you think, the crazier you will act. That I can't argue with. You're at the place where words are not of the slightest use. True. Very true. I've always hated the way some truths just feel like a slap to the face. Do you know what you are doing? I think it's well established that I don't. Of course you don't. You thought you ran the whole place and did everything yourself. No, it's not just me. I mean, I'm not by myself. This town has two founders. It's just that we're of two minds. Claude means well. He's had about 50 things the matter with him for about 50 years. (laughs) Perhaps. He was so drunk we couldn't wake him up. When did you... No, never mind. I'm sure I don't want to know. Knowledge of his days will only aggravate me further. I think it's better than I imagine why he's yet to respond to any of my notes. Did you deliver the invitation by force? No. That goes against the spirit of an invitation. He has to come on his own accord. I just fear that all my notes and letters, well... He has been nagged until his patience is lost. Yes, exactly. But I don't know what else to do. And I'm starting to fail in my resolve to reach him. A poet might expect you to. Yes, well, poets are rarely burdened with leadership. No. And neither of you. If you kill yourself to get it. Seven poor fools. I'll say it pretty plain. A poet might expect you to. I I don't want to storm across town, fire in my eyes, fear in my voice, and scare the few people who might make a difference for our future. Demonstrating power or anger? Yes. I meant affection. And isn't it the queerest thing how people are made? Yes. I'm sorry, but I probably have already said too much, and I don't think I know you. Have we met? Most every night. Nights and mornings. But don't you mind. What? (laughs) Can't you tell when anyone is teasing? (laughs) No. Not anymore. (laughs) Since you seem to be feeling unaccountably weak in the knees... Let's see if we can brace them a little. You are an odd person. Kate. You are an odd person, Kate. (laughs) And I find myself both intrigued and a little unsettled by this conversation. And yet, you are familiar to me. I guess what I'm getting at is this. Can I trust you? Not the ghost of a doubt about that. All right. Okay. Let's brace my knees. What are you thinking of? 
at this moment? Of course. Now. Now, what are you thinking of? Well, I guess the moment doesn't matter, either now or the last hour. My mind erodes into our downfall. I confess myself dubious. It's true. Can't you do better than that? Better than what? Better than telling such palpable lies. Leave out the heroics and be human. I have no heroics, and I fear I'm losing my humanity. You must see that this is how things are. Who I am. Oh, must I? Why don't you ask me what's the matter? I don't... <laughs> Fine. What's the matter? This is the kind of man you are? What about my heart or my pride? Can't you see that I'm ruined? Think I can respect that? I doubt anyone respects me. Why would they? A feeble man of inaction, as thin as his convictions. You needn't worry. We're all used to it. And we're all at the place where we have nothing to say. I know full well that I am to blame for my solitude. And I don't expect anyone to join me in my suffering. Nor try and coax me out of it. You crawl and slink as to the manor born. Yes, I do. And like Hamlet, my manor is tragic suffering. And my friends... My, my neighbors, whatever they are, should not be moved to join me. Would you like us better if we were? No. I do not wish to share my dark clouds. Would you want to share in this? I can't say that I do. Will you tell me why I should? Convince you to adopt dread as you would a child? No, I'd rather not. The worst thing about him is a kind of hard-headed self-assurance. Him who? There was nothing for him to face except himself. So he switched from Manic Inquisitor to Omniscient Narrator. I see. Well, thank you for your time, but I'd much rather be anywhere else at the moment. We're all more interested in ourselves than in anyone else in this world. That doesn't mean I don't care for the people. You needn't suffer any longer. We're done here. Goodbye. You needn't suffer any longer. You needn't suffer any longer. I honestly don't know if that's true. If you were a perfect stranger, standing back and looking on, not acquainted with any of the parties, merely seeing things as they happen each day, would it be your honest opinion? <laughs> I hardly think I can will myself into impartiality. Would it be... Your honest opinion. No, of course not. If I were to read my tale as I've read these books, I would see that this suffering, my suffering, was doing nobody any damn good. But I can't seem to find a way out. You have had every chance. If I don't hope and fear and, yes, dread for the future, then who will? Tell me that. Who well, you'll get so weak, you'll be helpless. That may very well be. If I were married to a man, I'd fight tooth and nail before I let him fall below his high ideals. I, I'm sure he'd appreciate that. It's a very fine, deep, sincere love that I'm offering you. Come again?
Do me the favor to accept it as casually as I offer it. Is this some kind of joke? Not the least. Well, <laughs> it isn't much of a joke. Then are you, uh, impaired? <laughs> but by a foreign substance, I mean... Not the least. Oh, seven poor fools. A man has got to have a little change. It's a very fine, deep, sincere love that I'm offering you. Do me the favor to accept it as casually as I offer it. Why not let me have this wonderful chance? I... I accept. Then I'll tell you definitely that I have no particular desire to marry anybody. I like my life immensely as I'm living it, which ain't saying I never wanted to. Then what the hell? A man would have a rather difficult proposition on his hands to found a family without a woman. That's not true. We have several couples. But this is a new thing. You entreated me to put all I had into your plan. All there is of me goes into this. I don't understand. They come because they love you. They try to tell you so with the little things they bring. Tell them exactly what you please. Tell them the truth. Things will be better. I haven't the gift of telling about things before they have happened. Maybe I'm wrong about it. But it's what I think. And what if they don't listen? If they don't hear me? I've done what I think is right and fair and just, and I'm happy with the results. Whatever you do will be fair, just, and right. I guess it's worth a try. And why don't you practice it? I, I don't think. Seven poor fools, then why don't you practice it? I, uh, I think, I believe that a laugh of worry is a laugh wasted, but a laugh without worry or concern or a single glance to anything but what's right in front of you is just treacherous. Does that, do you believe me? Yes, I believe you. All you say is true, just as what I said was true. You believe me, don't you? I, I do. <sighs> I signed an agreement to teach the village school in Walden. If you'd rather be alone, I'll go back to Walden and be satisfied and happy with the fine treat this has been. Walden? Why, of course. Where is... Wait. I... I don't own a secret. Ask anything you want to know. What was your name again? Kate. Kate from Walden. That's familiar to me. Things are progressing so nicely and this will upset everything. 
A daughter of the land. I'm not doing a thing on earth but attending strictly to my own business. A daughter of the land. Kate from Walden. We are partners no longer. You wait. You wait right there. Where is it? Where did I put it? Yeah. A daughter of the land. Take the wings of morning, repeated Kate, with all the emphasis the old minister had used. I wonder what kind of wings. Those of a peewee would scarcely do for me. I'd need the wings of an eagle to get me anywhere. And anyway, it wasn't the wings of a bird I was to take. It was the wings of morning. Wings of morning. That phrase always stood out to me, as did this book. Kate from Walden, eh? I don't know what kind of trick you're trying to pull here, but... Wait. He has been nagged until his patience is lost. You thought you ran the whole place and did everything yourself. A cyclone, a cloudburst, a great conflagration are awful things. Who are you? Why are you here? What I want is this. That these days shall always come back to you in memory as nearly perfect as possible. These days shall always come back to you in memory as nearly perfect as possible. Word for word. Straight from the book. Who? What are you? No, I... I'll rest now. And look for you tomorrow. I need to lay down. I hope and pray that we meet again. If not, then... Well, best not to think about that right now. You'd far better let her go her own way and only appear when she has time for you. <sighs> is that what my life is to be? Am I left nothing except the fanciful? The only wonder is that one small head can contain it all. Tomorrow, tomorrow, I will not be the same man. You won't be offended, will you, if I ask you to remain with me? Offended? No. Frightened? Yes. I am afraid. Yeah, we
Pleasure Town will return in a moment. And I laid my head down and fell asleep. And was she there when you woke up? No. Just me. Alone in the library. Did you ever see her again? Well, uh... It wasn't our last conversation. So you're saying you did see her? I... Here's what I know. I haven't seen her here, in the ether. But not everyone followed us over. I'm not talking about here. I'm talking about in life. In Pleasure Town. I do have some memories. Memories of her, but they, uh, well, like I said, it wasn't our last conversation. Town listeners, this is Emily Modaff, associate producer of the show. Thanks so much for tuning in to episode 206. This episode of Pleasure Town was written by Aaron Cahoe and Ian Belknap and performed by Aaron Cahoe, Lauren Demarath, and Ian Belknap. Sound design by Aaron Cahoe, editorial oversight by Joe Dassault with help from Brad Helm. Pleasure Town was created by Keith Ecker and Aaron Cahoe. Our associate producer is me, Emily Modaff, and our interns are Joe Courtney, Colin Wright, Lizzie Seidenstricker, and Brady Guy, who's had about 50 things the matter with him for about 50 years. Original music was composed and performed by River Rising's Megan Diger and Tim Hazen and engineered by Colin Ashmead Bobbitt. Pleasure Town is a part of the WBEZ Podcast Network. Discover more excellent shows by visiting wbez.org slash podcasts. Pleasure Town is an ever-growing interactive narrative which relies on your creativity, your imagination, and especially your voice to expand the legend. Find out how you can join the story at PleasureTownShow.com.